2: to Pagan Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight.
3: Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast. Whenever you are, wherever you are, my name is Laura Gonzalez and I'd like to welcome you to Lunatic Mondays lunes lunaticos the very first and only bilingual pagan podcast for pagan tonight radio network and tonight we have a very interesting guest she is a wonderful wonderful person she's an author and she's going to be talking to us about her book the world is of the world is your oracle her name is nancy better Schulz, and i'm going to share with you a little bit of her biography she tells us my work is rooted in ritual story and song as well in feminist theology and women's studies scholarship. As a PhD, I hone my skills in the emerging field of women's studies in the 1970s and 1980s, evolving and empowering leadership and teaching style that I use in my retreats and workshops today. I believe that my ongoing research in divination and myths is accessible and inviting, and that my workshops are, are playful and fun. I've offered personal growth workshops since 1987. In 1992, I left the Women's Studies Group at the University of Wisconsin-Madison to work full-time as a singer, storyteller, educator, worship facilitator, and a ritualist. Since then, I presented worships and sung all over North America, as well as writing The World is Your Oracle. My approach is both creative and intellectual, using the skills that created my recording chants for the Queen of Heaven, as well as those that I led on my PhD, to my PhD. My efforts recently received recognition when I was named a Wisdom Keeper of the Goddess Spirituality Movement and in the form of a feminist theology award from the Unitarian Universalist Women's Federation. I live in in Madison, Wisconsin, with a feminine spouse. My self-empowered 30-something daughter created the beautiful illustration For the World is Your Oracle. We'd like to welcome tonight Nancy. Nancy, how are you today?
4: Well, after hearing you praise me with those words, I'm feeling just wonderful. Thank you.
3: Thank you. I'm very honored and very happy that you reached out to us for this show. I, needless to say, I'm enamored to, with your book. It's, it's just beautiful. But oh, before thank you. we go Before we go into the book, and obviously I had to mention also the illustrations and all of the work that went into the book. But before we go there, i like for us and for our audience to get to know you a little bit more. And I am really, really, really interested in uh, the goddess mistress, being a priestess of the goddess myself. And um, I was wondering if you'd like to share a little bit of your path. How do you encounter the path of the goddess? How did you came into neo-paganism and when? How long ago?
4: Well, it's it's very long ago. <laughs> I was as a little girl, I wanted to be a minister, believe it or not. And I was growing up in a small town in upstate New York and I was going to the local Reformed Church, Dutch Reformed Church of America, and pretty soon I realized there weren't any woman ministers and that was not a path that I could actually take. That didn't lead me to let go of Christianity until quite a bit later in my life. I think in a very funny way, I needed to let go of Christianity in order to let go of my virginity. And, uh, you know, sex was more important to me than the this punitive Christian God that seemed to be looking over my shoulder. So for a number of years from, you know, about my early 20s until well, let's see, it was actually my late 20s, I was pretty much not, I was looking for something. I felt like there was a hole in my heart because there was no religion or spirituality there. And then I went to the National Women's Music Festival in 1976. And I think before then I had started to play with tarot cards, And they were just magical and mysterious to me. So there was the beginnings of a a spiritual path that was indicated by the tarot cards. But I hadn't been doing them for very long when I went to the National Women's Music Festival. And I came in contact with women who were doing chanting as a spiritual practice. And I instantly had mystical experiences and went, oh, Whoa! My and at this time I was in graduate school, getting my Ph.D. Probably the most rational period of my life in this, in terms of the practical day-to-day aspects of studying and writing papers, and then getting ready to write a dissertation. But to have these mystical experiences made me realize that maybe rationality wasn't the sole path to truth in my life. And so I came home and I looked for people who were doing um, chanting as well as people who were into goddesses because these women at the National Women Music Festival were all goddess women. And it was like, oh, I finally found my path because I was already um, um, involved in the Women's Studies program and realizing that that was, we started um, the first Feminist Criticism Collective, which was for women in all the literary fields. I was in literature, and those women who were interested in trying to figure out how to critique literature from a feminist perspective. So I was all, and actually I went back to graduate school because I was a feminist. I wanted to um, use my intellect in some way for the good of women, so when I found the goddess at the National Women's Music Festival, it was like everything clicked, because for me, the goddess was a very empowering understanding of, of spirit, of source, because she was in the image of a woman. So that's how I got to paganism, and it was a pretty unformed paganism in the late 70s, but when I finally came across Starhawk and her book in the very late 70s and early 80s, I thought, okay, I've found my path. Reclaiming is my path. So I think that's the long story of how I got to paganism.
3: And there is no such thing as long stories here on uh, Ludotique Mondays. We like to hear everything. I'm a sucker for details, and I love to hear um Always, you know, those little details, those those little aha moments, and uh, as a matter of fact, with the person that we were chatting about uh, in a religion uh, communication last week, we were precisely chatting about how it feels like coming home. It feels like there's something, like it has been calling you your whole life, and the minute you are there, it's like, whoa.
4: Exactly. That's exactly how it felt felt, oh, this is what I've been looking for. Yay, I found it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I also was involved in a dream group during this period, and at, I think part of that was one of the people that influenced me there was Jung. Not, I mean, he's not a very, he's not unsexist. There is sexism in Jung, but there's some interesting things, especially when it comes to dreams and especially seeing dreams as being able to give you a path towards your own personal religion. He really talks about dreams as a possible living religion. And that really spoke to me, too, uh, uh, on my path to the goddess. It was, that was very affirming that each of us has a particular path that moves us and uh, allows us to be vital and loving and whole and filled with the light of the goddess and her darkness her her healing darkness and her enlightening light yeah so that helped me to get there too my dream group i was in it for 12 and a half years and it was really quite remarkable we every mm-hmm. 3 weeks or so we would get together and one person or possibly two would share a dream and there was only one rule in, in the dream group, and that was that the dreamer knows. In other words, the dreamer was the only one to say, yes, that's what this dream means. The rest of us would say, well, if it were my dream, it might mean X, Y, or Z, or what? I think that symbol might mean this. What do you think? But it was that was a wonderful um, route to the goddess as well because I started having these um, – Actually, the first dream that took me to the dream group was this amazing, it was just a vision, but it was, I saw this woman who was made out of light, and I. after that I saw this circle on the ground, and then that circle started to sing. It was singing a chant, and then around that circle was the aura of nature, and I took it took me years to unpack all of the meanings in there. And one of the things I realized many years later was that I was the woman of light, the woman who was filled with the goddess's light. And it t- for a while I never could figure out why the, the land that the circle was on was so light-colored until I went... It's the color of my skin. My body and the land are one. So that was another pagan understanding, as well as the, the importance of song, the chant that circulated around this circle. I could hear it when it came closer to me. It was louder. When it was further away on the circle, it was softer. It was really a magical dream. And as a result of having this dream, I started asking everyone, do you know anything about dreams? Can you tell me about dreams? And finally, this one friend of mine said, well, I can't tell you what your dream means, but would you like to join our dream group? And I said, oh, yes, I would love to. <laughs> Do you also
3: experience uh, messages through your dreams? And I'm not talking oh. about the message that comes from your subconscious mind, but I'm talking about a message that might come from another world or from another uh, being, whether they pass on or or beings of light, or whatever you want to call them. Have you experienced that? I
4: have had, I would say most of my dreams are more psychological, and there are the occasional dreams that are powerful, big dreams that come from beyond. And I had a series of dreams that involved Mother Ann Lee. I don't know if you know anything about her, but she was the founder of The Shakers, And I was fascinated with the Shakers after having these dreams because she was um, a feminist for her time, which was a very difficult time to be a feminist. It was in the, the late 18th century, the 1770s and 1780s. And the way she was a feminist was that she said that her organization, her religion, had to have both male and female leaders who were equal in their Um, their significance. And she did separate the men from the women in many ways, Um, the first way being that they had different kinds of work. The men did the heavy lifting and the women did the less um, uh, difficult, physically difficult work. And they lived in different parts of the houses that they lived in and they didn't have any sex which is the reason that the shakers died off. But at that point in time, the only way women could control their sexuality was by having no sex because they they could not control whether or not they would conceive because there was, I'm sure there were ways, but most women were not aware of the ways to control their sexuality. So I was fascinated with this, and the dreams that came to me that were mother Ann dreams were dreams that said, do this in your life, this is important in your life, walk down this path. They were very, very spiritually um, undergirding for me. They were wonderful. The other thing, time that I had a dream that came somehow from beyond was when my husband and I were trying to figure out whether we wanted to have a child or not. Uh, we, it was a difficult decision and uh, one that we didn't take lightly. And during that period, I had a dream of a little girl with blonde, curly hair who looked a lot like her dad. And this was before I conceived my daughter, who at two and a half looked just like the little girl I saw in my dream. So I think Linnea came to me and said, hey, I want to live. <laughs> Go ahead. Have a child.
3: Uh, my sister had a very similar experience. She was pregnant already, but she uh-huh. dreamt her daughter. And I think, if I recall correctly, she told her her name. She told her, oh, you know, that's I'm caring. interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, earlier you mentioned the work of Carl Jung and... For a lot of us who are interested in oracles and symbolism and archetypes, obviously his work is highly important. But I see, I have seen lately on the pagan, neo pagan, new age, and spiritual communities that the name of Carl Jung is drawn quite often and a little too much, maybe without understanding deeply his work.
4: I what is your taste true.
3: What is your take
4: on that? I think that there's a lot of fairly superficial understandings of Jung. He was a profound thinker. And for me, one of the most important um, books that I read during the period when I was unchurched, so to speak, when I had not yet found paganism, was his Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, which is much more accessible than a lot of his other more academic and intellectual work. But for me... That was it brought home the significance of synchronicities of the spiritual spirituality of what he was doing that his his psychotherapy was very much involved with understanding what gave meaning to a person's life, and as far as I'm concerned, meaning is one of those major things that are important when you're talking about spirituality so that book was very important to me his work on synchronicities was very important to me i think that um there's a i'm not sure anymore i don't use the word archetype because i'm not exactly sure what he was getting at and i I am sure what he was getting at, and I'm not sure that that's the way that I conceive of. Um, I usually conceive of symbolism probably in a less profound way. Well, that's not really true. I think symbols really are incredibly profound because they speak to us not only intellectually, but also emotionally and also spiritually, so they really connect the body, mind, and spirit in ways that that other kinds of artifacts don't. but i'm I'm I don't know that there's a collective unconscious. I can't I can't from my own experience, um, say that that exists. so therefore I'm a little bit reticent to use the term archetype which has everything to do with that collective unconsciousness what do you Um, think about the collective unconscious
3: i i don't know it's you know i'm in the fence i believe there is sometimes i'm i'm a very very um paradoxical practitioner because (laughs) for one, uh, one minute i'm completely atheist and then something happened and i'm like oh no i completely believe in deity and then sometimes I believe in the absolute individuation of of the individual and then sometimes I'm like no yes we are connected so I really I don't know I don't know Uh, what I know is I love symbols and symbolism and I love how uh, there are some universal symbols and some have been used for good and some have been given a life of its own and have become very Harmful and, and negative, and if there is not a collective consciousness, then we have created through symbols some of it
4: right that 's what see no. that 's what i can 't tell have Have we created something that we connect around <clears throat> as human beings, or was it a given that we have tapped into i can 't figure that out, so i 'm a little bit um, where of the term archetype i just talk about symbols because symbols yeah. are powerful in and of themselves
3: yes indeed uh we can just look at the swastika <laughs> right
4: exactly that's and, a good example
5: and i actually that, did
4: my i actually did my dissertation on nazi propaganda so i know just how powerful their use of symbols was
3: and, and I have another symbol that um, I actually did a, a little audio for the Goddess Symposium last year, uh, speaking of this deity or this image that is called Santa Muerte, and that is a deity created by men for men for uh, criminals. And criminals have adopted this image as their patron saint, And there is a lot of people on the neo-pagan community who believe she's like the punk rock uh, emanation of the goddess and there's nothing further from the truth. So, you know, regionally also how symbols work and how uh, ultimately people believe what they want to believe they see on the symbol,
4: right? you know,
3: and let's leave it at that. Uh, Nancy, I want to invite you, since we were talking about goddesses, I want to invite you to listen to this beautiful song by Celia Farron that is called Everyday Goddess. And when Lovely. we come back, we're going to plunge into The World is Your Oracle.
2: We'll be Oracle. right back with
3: more here with Nancy bader Schultz and yours truly, Laura Gonzalez, on Lunatic Mondays. We'll be right back. I really
1: know, And this is Everyday Goddess. is a moon.
2: Listening to Pagan Tonight. Pagans Unite on Pagan Tonight. Many Paths, One Network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and the most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight.
3: And we're back here live on Lunatic Mondays. Lunas Lunaticos, the very first and only bilingual show for Pagans Tonight Radio Network. And let me tell you very quickly about some shows that are coming soon here on Lunatic Mondays. For those folks who speak Spanish, on February 12th, we will have Santi Alarcon from Colombia. He is going to be talking about numerology. Santi, the creator of our logo, among other things, a great friend and a a great person that has come to the show a number of times, but it's been a while. So we're really, really happy to have Santi back on the 12th of February. Also, for those folks who speak Spanish, on the 26th, we will have Aramis Libu. He is going to be talking about the African diaspora religions, such as Voodoo, Candomblé, Umbanda, Yoruba, all of those traditions that uh, we understand very little about. them. Very, They are being very, very stereotyped, and he's going to come to dispel all them stereotypes. So don't miss it, Aramis Libu, on February 26th. For those folks who speak English, on February 19, we will have author Phyllis Krut. She's going to be chatting with us about her upcoming book, Wicca, The Essential Guide to Sacred Magic. And she's going to talk to us about how to remain strong, balanced, and connected to the sacred in this times of turbulence because these times are really turbulent and she's going to be with us Phyllis Crott, on the 19th of february and on march 5th we will have medium extraordinaire chris McBrien talking about precisely mediumship and you can find all the details of our coming shows on our facebook page lunes lunaticos lunatic mondays please like and follow our page. You can find all the events there. Uh, we usually post them with a, a month in advance so you can see them, so you can see who's coming to our show. And also remember that at the end of the interview, we will have uh, Carrie Taring sharing with us her reading of Runes for the week, and yours truly, Tarot by Laura Gonzalez, reading uh, sharing the reading for the week, for this week of February 5th of 2018. Uh, Well, we're back here with Nancy. Nancy, uh, now I want to take this this plunge. Thank you so much for sending me those questions, by the way, because they are fantastic. And um, following the questions that you sent me, really, really cool. Um, I want to (laughs) know, I want you to please explain to all of us, what is an Oracle? Because some of us think it's one thing, some of us might not know. So we're all on the same page of what is an oracle.
4: Right. The way I'm using that term in my book is that it's simply a divination technique to find an answer to a question by tapping into your inner wisdom rather than rationally working it out. Oracle has many different definitions, so that's the one definition that I'm working with. Another definition that's more poetic is that you could talk about oracles as being involving a compressed story that's a personal search for insight which oftentimes invokes childlike wonder and what it does is put you in touch with a part of yourself namely the unconscious that knows you better than you consciously know yourself and when i say that in my workshops especially i think immediately of a early feminist song by Alex Dobkin on the album Lavender Jane Loves Women, which goes, The woman in your life knows simply what is true to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She knows everything you do because the woman in your life is you. So that's how I define divination. I didn't know you you were going to
3: chant for us. That is wonderful. (laughs) I love when things like this happen. Uh, You know, Lunatic Mondays, anything can happen. There you have it. Nancy chanted for us. What a beautiful chant also. Uh, And yeah, it is all about, uh, you know, bringing the unconscious to the conscious and just going with the flow, I guess. <laughs> Is that what yeah, prompted you to to write the book, or where do you get your your inspiration?
4: Well, actually, it it was an interesting process. Um, I had this idea. I just thought it would be a great idea to have a deck of cards. That was my original idea, where when you pulled the card, instead of giving you an answer. It gave you a technique to use to find the answer to your question. And my daughter, Linnea, at the time was 17, and I said to her, I want to do this deck, and I want you to to paint the cards. And she looked at me and said, Nancy, because she always called me by my first name, I can't do 52 or what turned out to be 40 illustrations that are based on the same symbolism, the same media, the same ideas. And I looked at her and thought, oh, my gosh, yeah, you're 17. You have to explore. But when she was in her uh, mid-20s, she came back to me and said, you remember that book? Let's do it. So then we got down to really writing it, and I did a lot of research because, you know, I love looking. I love learning. It's one of my favorite things. And so I actually ended up with 250 different divination techniques now a lot of them were from indigenous um, peoples some of them were ancient techniques from like the greeks and the romans some of them were adaptations of um, various practices that i then used and turned into um, divination techniques and some were my own ideas But when we finally got the book done and got ourselves a literary agent who found us two publishers, the publisher that we went with, because we thought they might do a better book, and they certainly did, I think they produced a beautiful book, Um, only wanted 40 of them and uh, did not want a deck. They only wanted to have a book. And... Fortunately or unfortunately, they own Linnea's art for the next year. And then after that, we are going to bring out a deck because this is, I think, the deck idea was appropriate as well. So there will be a deck that goes with our book. But at this point, if you want to use it in that way of choosing a card, you'll have to flip open the page and go, Oh, today I guess I'm going to do an auditory technique which is books Uh (laughs) so you could do the Um, same thing with the book
3: I was going to ask you before we go any further because you talk in your book about uh, three different styles or three different kinds of perception the visual, the auditory and the kinesthetic Uh, could you explain a little bit of of how each one of them works?
4: Sure, like I am very auditory and I can use um kinesthetic techniques if they're simple enough but visual is something that's much more difficult to me for me but the visual oracles are actually the, among the most common in our culture you can think of tarot cards or the i ching or runes or even reading tea leaves and In one sense, this is paradoxical since visual diviners are the least prevalent in our population, but our society is becoming even more visual given the popularity of smartphones and tablets and personal computers. So visual divinations, especially the ones that I gathered in this book, run the gamut from very simple and straightforward things like randomly opening a book selecting an oracular text by pointing at the, the page and then um, opening your eyes and reading what your oracle is to much more highly advanced, like scrying, where you there are many different ways to scry. In my book, what I have is scrying water. In that technique, what you're supposed to do is stare into, actually through the water until an answer surfaces visually. And this works mm-hmm. for me only if I create an extremely particular environment. I have to have a dimly lit room, and I have to look at the water sort of from an angle and definitely use peripheral vision, and then I can sometimes come up with a, a, a vision. But for the most part, I, I'm much more um, interested in doing auditory techniques Um, And they were favorites of the Greeks and the Romans. In fact, the word augury comes from listening to a bird for wisdom. And um, Julius Caesar was so into um, this form of divination that he made himself the head augur when he was the uh, Caesar of Rome. And these go also from very simple to more advanced, the ones that I have gathered here. So for instance, a very simple example of an auditory technique would be a claydon, which is you go to a place, a a, a public place. You ask your question in your mind, and the next snippet of conversation that comes to you is your divination, your oracle. there are also much more um, advanced, if you want to call them that, but at least uh, less straightforward um, divinatory um, auditory divinations. Like my favorite is just going down to a lake and listening to the wave's lap. And what happens for me there is that the rhythm of the water starts to become words and then phrases and then very quickly there's an answer to my question. And then Uh the kinesthetic kinesthetic ones, I think, are actually available to all of us, at least these days in in the United States where we've become much more aware of the concept of body-mind. And so the kinesthetic divinations are tapping into your own vibes or your gut feelings about something. And the ones that I have brought together in this book also go from the most simple to the most complicated and a simple one. I'm opening up my book because I'm not remembering a good example of the simple ones. Right here it should be. Here they are. Um, oh, yes. One is dousing. Now, Dowsing, for me has been a very interesting uh, divination practice. For a while it worked perfectly, but lately I don't know what yes and no is when I'm using a pendulum, so I'm having a little bit more difficulty with dowsing. But essentially it's using a pendulum. And so that's a pretty straightforward technique. Or journaling, which is uh, using, writing words on paper, Using your hand to write. Actually, journaling I love because it, it even though I put it in the kinesthetic techniques, it uses all three of your senses. When you're writing, you hear the pen go across the the page. When you're writing, you're moving your hand, and when you're writing, you see what you're writing. So all three of those senses are involved in the divination, um, mm-hmm. painting and. Painting and drawing is another simple kinesthetic technique that's in the book. It's actually a doodling technique. You ask your question, and you, and this was a, a technique that I thought that I had created. <laughs> Come to find <laughs> out that when I did the research, um, it actually was created by the um, surrealists during the um, 20s and 30s they created all these so-called automatic techniques in order to free their imagination, and one of them was automatic drawing. And the idea of how to do this, according to André Masson, who was the person who pioneered it, is that you just move your hand randomly across the paper, freeing the resulting picture from conscious control, and then you start to... His his, uh, process, like the one that I thought was mine... But it's his process involved a two-step, um, two steps, and what you do is first draw unconsciously, and then when the images begin to suggest certain kinds of forms, then you outline and embellish them. It's a really fun technique.
3: Mm-hmm. So
4: that's uh,
3: yeah. I'm sorry I interrupted you. I was gonna say no. I do I do have your book in front of me. Thank you so much for the gift. And oh, when you started welcome. talking about the techniques. Uh, that you said open the book on any of the cards and I opened Scrying and then you started talking about Scrying.
4: Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I love synchronicities. (laughs) That's wonderful.
3: It is wonderful indeed. So um, who can uh, utilize this book? You wrote it for whom?
4: Well you know I'm a pagan so my first audience was a pagan audience but I'm also a Unitarian Universalist, and I really think that anybody who's open-minded could use this book. If you're open-minded and don't think that divination is evil, then this book can help you. Um, Even if you're an atheist, I think that it can help you, because we have now um, realized through brain imaging techniques exactly how aha moments happen. So I created, actually I had finished the book, and I was ready to send it out to literary agents to try to get it published. And my husband said to me, oh, no, 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 you have to read another book. I said, oh, I don't want to read anything more. I'm really done writing this. And he said, no, you have to read this book on aha moments. And what it did for me was to make me realize that science has caught up with seers and sages. They finally have an answer to how aha moments happen. You have to flood the back of the brain with aha, with um, um, alpha waves. And what that does is create something called a brain blink, which is essentially like what happens when somebody asks you a very difficult question and you either close your eyes or look away. So you're not distracted. The brain does exactly the same thing when it, the back of the brain is flooded with alpha waves. And as a result, new ideas can pop up in the right temporal lobe right above your right ear. And when I read about this, I realized that the techniques, the divination techniques in my book, some of them fall into that category, like the ones that use meditation or ecstatic dance or chanting or drumming or toning, all of those flood the back of the brain with alpha waves. And then you come up with a good idea, a new idea. The other ones that are in my book are like insight triggers like like tarot cards, where you have a new idea, a new visual idea or auditory idea or kinesthetic idea through which you filter your issue, your question. And that gives you a new idea. So I wrote a chapter on the science of divination and added it to the book, and I think that really has made it a more accessible. Um, it has made divination a more accessible practice for people who don't think of themselves as spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I. I think that's actually a good thing, because the rest of us already knew that divination was useful and could help us and give greater meaning to our lives so if, I'm, if the I know way, the,
3: I'm
4: sorry, go ahead that's fine. I was finished really
3: um I know the answer to the next question, but I'd like to know your point of view because i I see it firsthand that people still think divination could be harmful or uh, demonic or etc. Do you encounter that a lot? Do you encounter that around people who are not necessarily pagan? Um, that know that you wrote this book? Do you get comments on, oh, divination is not good, it shouldn't be done by people, blah, blah, blah.
4: Well, I know that more from the internet than I know it from my own personal experience. No, I haven't had anybody say that to me. And if they did, I would tell them that they were ill-informed. Because really, it it has, even the Bible, because it's usually fundamentalist Christians who say this, even in the Bible, King David used a divination to decide whether or not he should attack his enemy. He listened till... An answer um, was received in the rustling of the leaves of a mulberry tree under which he was um, standing. So clearly, people who have this um, point of view are are ill-informed, are ignorant. And uh, I really don't think there's, um, if you are, especially if you are aware of the resonance of your divinatory outcome. It's, that's the way, it's the, the question I get is not, is this evil, but how can I trust my divination? And I think that's very interesting because what that has to do with is people not understanding the significance of intuition in their lives and thinking that everything has to be rationally worked out. And what I tell them is that they will learn to feel, hear, or see the resonance of their divination outcome, and you might hear an aha, oh aha, like an aha moment, or that mm-hmm. the the, the, uh, the concept clicks for you somehow in your body, or that you have this visual yes that comes to you. That's the question I get: how to trust your intuition, and I think. That is a really sad question because what that means is the people who are asking me that have been dependent on outside experts for their own understanding of what, where they should be going, what they should be doing, what their life should be about. And mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people who are like that, and and I really think it's important to empower those people to discover their own inner wisdom.
3: Exactly. You know, it happens uh, a little bit on my practice that I tend to tell people, I cannot tell you anything that you don't know. Right. (laughs) Because you come to me with your information, with your energy, with your subconscious mind, you're choosing the cards. The only thing I'm doing is interpreting them for you. But you know all this. And it's Mm. like their heads just bob up and down going, yes, because that's the truth of the matter. And I have always told people, my students and colleagues, what I believe makes a wise person or a witch or a wizard or whatever you want to call um, a person that practices this type of techniques, uh, what makes us wise is that we just pay attention to our subconscious mind. We pay attention to our gut feeling and we follow. And then sometimes we don't follow. And then we go to the party knowing that we were going to have a bad time. But we're stubborn, and then we go, and then we have a bad time, and then we come back home, and we're like, "Ah, oh, I knew I shouldn't go."
4: Right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you get that in your head. Oh, yeah. Even though you know you better not. Yes. I. Yep. We all do that. It's so interesting. I had a massage with a wonderful, intuitive um, massage therapist today, and we were talking. About re- related sorts of things, so I'm having a synchronistic moment right now. And actually, the song that you played, "Everyday Goddess," is the perfect song for me today. I'm going to go and listen to it at least five more times. So, thank you so much for that.
3: Beautiful. I love Celia. I love all her work. And yeah, I do we too. did had. Uh, she recently put out one uh, newer version of her Bridget. Bridget's chant with Selena Fox and Uh we utilize that for our in celebration and boy oh boy I'm telling you Bridget was (laughs) present uh, through the music (laughs) so it it is wonderful how these oracles speak to us when we pay attention exactly Uh, and even when we don't pay attention they're still screaming but you know (laughs) we we need to pay attention (laughs) Uh, why did you call the the book "The World is your Oracle?
4: Well, I think that world has to be understood here on multiple levels i like I'm a witch and I believe that I am a part of the interconnected web of all existence that I'm connected to everything in the world and so the world for me is an oracle, whether it's my interior world because I'm a part of this whole universe or the external world. And as I said in the beginning, um, that conscious-unconscious divide really stands how much of our minds are in the unconscious. It's like the conscious mind is just the very tip of the iceberg. What happens is that the unconscious mind is constantly monitoring everything that happens in the external world and in our internal worlds. And when that unconscious believes that it's significant enough, it will pop it up into our conscious mind and make us aware of that. So it's important for us to use oracles because they put us in touch with our unconscious understandings before our conscious mind would. So that's something that I learned from dreams, because dreaming is also one of my techniques in this book. But spending 12 years in a dream group, it became clear to me that my dreams were always ahead of my conscious understanding of what was going on in my life. They would show me what my issues were and give indications of how to deal with them. So I was—I became very uh, – I would write down – actually when I started it was too much. I would write down three dreams a night and didn't have good sleep. So I finally said to my dreaming consciousness I only want one dream. Just give me the last dream in the morning. I'm happy to write it down, but please don't give me more than one. (laughs) But it was really remarkable how much help my dreams were to me while I was in that dream group. Mm
3: -hmm. And um Come in. Oh, I'm did sorry. I I'm answer having... your
4: question, Laura? <laughs> yes, you I did. did.
3: <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I'm a little uh, puzzled here because my chat room disappeared. And not that we had a whole lot of people in the chat room, but there were some people in the chat. And all of a sudden, I'm out. Okay. Uh, let's see what happens. Um, next question. I'm sorry. How do you it's think fine. your book... Uh, How is this book different from other divination books?
4: Well, we've already talked about one way, because it's divided according to senses, whether it's a visual, auditory, or kinesthetic sense. But that's just the first. And then we've talked about a second way, which is that it's the only book I know that talks about the science of divination. But I think there are two other ways that it's... um, uh, different from other divination books, because um, I read a lot of divination books when I was getting ready to write mine. There's a lot more information about how to prepare for your divination, and there there are rituals to surround your, your divination area, and um, you can bring in any of your guides to help you. So there's descriptions of preparation and The the other thing is that I really strongly suggest and in every divination I added as one of the steps is that you ground and center before you do your divination. And the reason for this is because science has now shown us that if you're in an an anxious mood or upset mood or angry mood, you're much less likely to come up with a, a good oracle than when you're in a tranquil mood or a joyful mood or a loving mood, any of those positive emotions will be much more conducive to coming up with a new idea. So grounding and centering is really important to get rid of that initial anxiety that you usually feel when you're looking at a question that has you stumped. And then there's um, also information about how to honor your oracle, because if you honor your divinations, they will honor you with greater wisdom. So various ways to craft something that looks like what you saw in your divination, or write a poem about what you you heard, or create a song, craft a mask, all sorts of different um, suggestions of how to honor your divination. And then finally... There's um, a, a chapter or a part, actually a segment um, of the first chapter which talks about how to interpret the results of your divination. And I think this is really important because I hadn't seen this anywhere. Um, it's to use free association to discover what, the, say, for instance, you have an image that is the result of your divination. and You can't figure out what it means then you can ask one of the six questions that I suggest. Essentially the questions mean, are the same question. How does this image relate to you? Or what is this image trying to tell you? Or what does the image mean to you? And so you use one of these questions over and over and over again until you get that resonance. Oh, that's what it meant. You know, either auditorially or kinesthetically or visually. So. It tells you how to interpret your oracle, and I think that's a really important um, addition to most oracle books. So I think we're going to.
3: And everything that you are saying is wonderful. I, I usually tell people, and of course, I didn't write the book on on the world as oracle, but I always tell people that sense of paying attention to the symbols. I often compare it with a muscle. You know, we're going to the gym and, I don't know, working on your quads. The longer, <laughs> the more that you work on them, the more you're going to feel the strength of the muscle.
4: Exactly. And,
3: and it's all about trusting that little voice that not necessarily has to come from outside of you. So it's not anybody else's voice. But right. it's your own that is coming from somewhere in your body where your mind resides. And not necessarily from your brain.
0: I don't know if that makes sense, you know.
3: And having a very strong uh, precognition ability that I I was, I believe I was born with it like everybody else, uh, but learned to use it from a very, very young age. It has been to me like, that's the muscle you want to exercise, you know. You just want to listen and follow and listen and follow. And like you said earlier, it's like the universe, it's like your own gifts or your own ability it reciprocates. And exactly.
4: And, you know, Laura, for you it sounds like you're an auditory um, diviner in some way because you talked about listening and following. And that's that's what I do. I listen and I follow. But some people have to feel and then follow, feel what feels right or what a nudge in their body that says do this or do that or or some way of expressing themselves physically and some people have to see and then follow but i think it's the same thing find out what that what that pathway is that sensory pathway is that gives you oracular insight and follow the oracular insight and the more you mm-hmm. do the better you get at it
3: yeah I I definitely don't know what kind of uh system works better for me. I guess auditory will will be the one. But with me it always has been just knowing. It is a ah. certainty of knowing certain things. Uh-huh. And that's it. That's it. Yep. And I just know it. And even when I was in uh high school in Mexico College, I'm sorry. Uh, there was this anecdote it's very silly but i'm gonna i 'm gonna pull you through it uh There was a raffle, mm-hmm. and I was coming to work i was coming to school late and it was like a whole movie playing on my head where my number was called i wasn't there they pulled another number it was my second number i wasn't there <laughs> they pulled a third number it was the person i didn't like, and that person won won the raffle because I was late. And oh, no. <laughs> as I, as I walk into the school, my friend tells me, you're not going to believe what happened. And I start telling him exactly what happened. And he said to me, who told you, who told you? And I'm like, no one told me. I just knew. <laughs> and it, it is incredibly hard to explain to people how you just know, Uh huh. but you just know and you have to trust it. So with me, it has been my whole life, but for people who are just tapping into it, who are just recognizing that those abilities, however they come to them, it's just about trusting and honoring. I love how you say, when you honor it, it honors you back, because that is the biggest truth, in my opinion. So okay. I love that you said it. Um, Nancy, I invite you to, to go for another song. and okay.
4: Inspired I can't by wait to words. hear it. <laughs> Who I knows what they' will tell me.
3: Inspired by your words, actually. So uh, here comes uh, the goddess and the weaver. We'll be back with more here on Lunatic Mondays.
0: She watches from the loom on high As her retina wheeves and she wheezes
2: unite on pagan tonight many paths one network for over five years we've been the place to connect with the best brightest and most trusted voices in the pagan world every night is Pagans tonight
3: and we're back here live with nancy better schultz talking about her book the world is your oracle welcome back nancy how are you
4: i'm enjoying this very much thank you laura
3: I'm I'm so
4: happy that you're enjoying it. We are enjoying it as well.
3: And now I'm going to ask you the hardest question because <laughs> knowing all of these techniques, I'm sure you love them all. I I made this joke, and I'm sure you're gonna relate. Uh, when one of the tarot cards come up, I tell the person, "This is one of my favorite top 78." <laughs> 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 it's, it's hard to have a favorite tarot card when all 78 are wonderful. So do you have one of these techniques that is your favorite?
4: Well, it depends on what I'm feeling like more than anything else. I mean, the one that works instantly and easily and which speaks to me completely is using um, running water or the lapping waves of the lake or being next to a stream, listening to water always is profoundly moving for me as well as easy. But if I'm feeling the need of really having a sensory immersion, what I will do is my candles um, technique, which is just the most sense. It's just sensual. It's just beautiful. It feels great. What you do is you... It's called Light Illumines the Water. And what you do is you relax in a warm bath and let the candlelight that's reflecting off the water mesmerize you into a state of mind with greater access to your inner knowing. And it's just wonderful because you get to be in this warm bath and there's candlelight that's reflecting off the water, and there's the sound of the water lapping, and it feels warm all around your body. And essentially, what the way this technique works is that it's sensory restriction because the water it makes it difficult for you to feel the edge of your body because it's the same temperature as your inner body. And the um, the, the Water running restricts your hearing and the dim light restricts your seeing. So all of your senses are restricted and that we now know from science also gives us greater access to our inner wisdom. But if I'm feeling like I just really want to spend the time and to really luxuriate that's the one that I would go to. Now, if I have a, a a question that's multifaceted, I sometimes will use a balloon diagram to get me in touch with what I need. And balloon diagrams are hilariously, I didn't know this, I assumed that they were a 20th century invention. Well, that's not at all true. Balloon diagrams were first used in the third century c e and by a a neoplatonist philosopher called Porphyry of Tyros, but at any rate it's it's essentially an outline but a very non linear non hierarchical intuitive outline, and what happens is that you see connections between the various parts of your puzzle or see things that diverge from what you thought were connected, and it gives you information about a more com- I like to use it when it's a more complicated issue. But it could work with, you know, I just used it yesterday, no, the day before yesterday at a workshop um as an introductory divination with people with a bunch of unitarian universalists, some of whom I bet it was the first time they ever did a divination. It was very useful for them. That is
3: fantastic to so do- so- to introduce people to a system that they might never see and they come out of there like whoa
4: <laughs> exactly <laughs> i also love to chant chanting is a wonderful way for me to tap into my inner inner wisdom and um sometimes ec- dan- ecstatic dance really works for me and another thing i really love is hugging trees i and then for me what i do is i listen to the wisdom of the tree but i think other people probably feel the wisdom of the tree so it's in the kinesthetic um techniques trees is and when i go to sacred sites i always tap into my inner wisdom cuz that's that can be incredibly profound when you're in a sacred area to, you know just to tap into the inner wisdom of the that sight as well as your own inner wisdom
3: Mhm. so earlier you were talking about um having the illustrations that are by the way beautiful um thank you i will book, tell my daughter she must know because they are so beautiful they're very easy <laughs> on the eyes and they are very like well I love symbols, so obviously they speak to me very clearly. Um, the feel of the book, the actual cover, the, the material that they use, I really like it a lot. Um, but I was going to ask you, you mentioned that you will have the oracle come out as a deck of cards. But you also mentioned that there were a lot of techniques that didn't make it into the book. So my question right. is, dun, 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 will there be a second book?
4: That I don't know yet. But I can tell you that I I have been blogging about the, the ones that were cut from the book because I know that they're good ones. I really spent a lot of time making sure that the way it was, they were written up, that they were understandable. So I have been sending out to people who are on my email list. I've been sending out some things in my Mailchimp letters. But I've also been blogging about them, uh, and I'm going to continue to blog on Elephant Journal. I think I'm going to start blogging on Pagan Square as well, because there, you know, there are 250 of these techniques, and only 40 of them went into the book. So yes, I will be blogging about them. If not, and if there's a second book, which I hope there is, then I will let you know. And
3: we will have you here, obviously. Uh, hopefully, as a premiere before the book comes out, so we can present it here. We would love to do that. We love to have those little accomplishments
4: <laughs> here yes, on the I show. Can. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I uh, understand that.
3: You know, it's it, it's I, it makes me feel so special. <laughs> That's my ego totally speaking. But anyway, um, you know, it's.
4: A, I think Laura that it's you know ego is a very useful thing. It gets us to do what needs to be done. You know, we have to have that organizing um and motivating part of us or we wouldn't do anything. You know, it's exactly. important to it's important to be as much as possible in in the light of, and the darkness of the goddess, you know, to let that flow through us. But the ego is what we use to get it out into the world. I really think we shouldn't put ego down so much.
3: No, I, I, I don't know if you follow social media or not, but I often post on my Instagram, and one of my favorite hashtags is, my ego is my friend, and I am friends with my ego. <laughs> you know because it. <laughs> uh it has such bad connotation just like some other like uh, some tarot cards you know like the tower or death there's so many things that we have just given such bad connotation and that we go, when we go to the deeper understanding of things or symbols they're actually highly positive exactly and if we were not for our, our shadow self, we would have been killed or something would have happened if we didn't um, stop trusting that street or that person. And yep. the same goes for your ego, you know. Your ego moves you to do and to accomplish certain things. And it's very, um, it's very much a staple to our society that pushes us to do the best we can. But then don't you ther- don't you dare talk about it. And I'm like, that's really, <laughs> that's really idiotic, you know, like,
2: you're
4: you, right. know, it is idiotic. you know, come yeah. on. It's, it's a leftover of our Christocentric <laughs> culture, which has some really difficult pieces around ego. You know, you're supposed to die and die to Christ, die to Jesus and let Jesus do and get out of the way. And, you know, I think there's some truth to not being overly attached to your ego. But mm-hmm. to let go of your ego completely, uh, I don't think that's healthy. Not at all. So going back to the original
3: uh, comment, when the second book happened, can you please <laughs> let us know right away so we can book you? And, you know, I book crazy in advance. Uh, I'm a one-person orchestra, and people don't believe me. Nancy, when you started talking about your show, wasn't it like on September? (laughs) (laughs) I think it was, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And people don't believe me. Like, I'm booked until July right now. And they're like, really? How? Well, I have to, because otherwise I couldn't do it. You know? You're you're busy. You have a job. You have a family. So uh, all of the shows. Go ahead.
4: I was just gonna say I'm very thankful to be on the show today. It's just it's fun. It's wonderful.
3: We love to have you and I was gonna comment, uh, Pamela Kelly, our manager, and every single one of the shows that are part of the Pig and Snack Radio Network and every single one of our broadcasters, my colleagues, we all volunteer our time. Exactly. None of us gets one penny. And we love to do it because we do it for you. We do it for our guests. I personally do it to learn because I learn tons from my guests. And we do it to have a good time and to share with people. And, you know, it's it's just wonderful to have people uh, like-minded or not so much like-minded, but that they have some interesting, beautiful things to share. And, Nancy, before we uh, close tonight with you, What do you think is the biggest lesson that people can get from your book?
4: Well, I think the book is essentially a primer in how to wake up to your own life and to use your senses to let you know what's happening in your life and how to deal with it. And essentially what happens for me when I am in touch with the oracles in my life or the synchronicities in my life, which I think are un- asked for oracles um... is that i feel a greater sense of purpose and meaning and i think that that's one of the most important things in our lives is to find the place where our abilities and skills are available in a meaningful way to the world and so oracles can help us do that they're also very practical. You can answer questions about when you're going through change in your life and you're not understanding. That's a wonderful time to do an oracle. Or when you're trying to create something new, oracles can tap you into your motivation and your ideas about what those new uh, um, what what is new in your life and. It's also good in terms of when you're stuck. So if you're stuck, inner wisdom to to help you figure out what's going on will get you unstuck. So it can be inspirational, can help you find um, habits that are sabotaging you, things that you have to let go of. It can help you find greater meaning in your life. So it's just a very all-purpose primer about what your life is about and how to go about it in ways that make your life more vital and loving. And in my workshops, that's what I've been discovering, is that when people really take the plunge into their deeper and inner wisdom, they come back with a glow. They come back radiant and they know how to live their lives so that they are And loving. So I think that's the takeaway.
3: Yeah. I believe everyone feels special when they discover an ability that they didn't know they have. And it's just empowering. It's empowering. It's beautiful. Uh, Nancy, you talk about workshops, and we don't want to let you go before you tell us, please, where are you going to be presenting workshops? Where are you going to be chanting? Where are you going to be teaching? And where can people reach out to you?
4: Well, my uh, I am so all over the place in terms of the the internet these days. Um, uh, my website is worldyouroracle.com, so you can go there to find me. I am blogging on Elephant Journal. There are three my three first posts are up there, and the third one. I think is a really significant post for anybody who's spiritual. So I would go look at what did I what did they call it? They give names to it. Let's see. Oh, where do I feel stuck? And 69 other questions to help us find our true path. <laughs> but it's really true. It's 70 different questions, and it's and it's a very interesting post. So my website, World Year Oracle, I have... Just started a YouTube channel, which you can find at Nancy Vetter Schultz. I have a blog site, which is Nancy schultz at Tumblr.com. My Facebook page, um, and I've and my Amazon author page. I think that's about it. I'm going to be. Um, giving a three-hour workshop at the Women of Wisdom Conference in Seattle in less than two weeks. That will be on Sunday, February, is that the 19th? Whatever that Sunday is, 18th of February in Seattle. Then I'm going to be giving a workshop at the Association for the Study of Women in Mythology in Las Vegas, which I think is the oddest place for this group to meet, but it's supposedly a cheap airfare, so that will be a really fun get-together. Those are all goddess women who really are interested in really doing the research on ancient goddesses and modern goddesses, and they. I always learn a lot when I go to that conference. I will be teaching a class here in Madison, Wisconsin, starting a week from tomorrow. It's a four-session class and it's at Unity of Madison and you can find out about that if you go to unityofmadison.org and look at their event calendar. It starts February 13th and it's four Tuesdays in a row. And then finally, uh, after I'm taking some time off, we're going to Japan um, to visit a friend of ours who's living there, and I, that'll be the first time I've ever been to Japan, and that'll be amazing. And then when I come back, I'm doing um, a workshop at the Covenant of Unitarian Universalist Pagans Convocation in Fort Myers, Florida. So I'm being I'm pretty busy.
3: And we thank you for making the time to come to Lunatic Mondays, knowing that your schedule is as crazy as yours truly. (laughs) It's so great to see that you're all over the place. And we thank you very much for being on the show tonight. And uh, what I have left is just to give you the microphones to say goodnight to your audience tonight, not without saying thank you so much for being on our show tonight. It was a blast. And we look forward for the, oracle cards and we look forward for the <laughs> book <notebook> number two <laughs>
4: thank that's you that's great thank you very much it was lovely to be here laura good night everyone
3: good night nancy and we send you off tonight with the song uh Radia chant by Rosemary selick and we'll be back with carrie tarring and yours truly with the readings for the week
2: To Pagan Tonight. Pagans Unite on Pagan Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagan Tonight. And we're back here
3: live on Lunes Lunaticos Lunatic Mondays, the very first and only bilingual show for Pagan Tonight Radio Network. And we're so happy to welcome my dear friend, Kari Taren. How are you, Kari? Hello, Laura. I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm okay. A little freezing here, but, you know, nothing that cannot be solved with a little side heater. I'm
5: sure you're all freezing
3: over there, too.
5: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's pretty cold, but, you know, it was... uh it was a good day for skiing I got out and I got some skiing in and then I got worked up a good sweat so it hardly feels cold cool
3: cool so I know you're here and we'd love to have you live to give us the reading for the week on runes so without further ado
5: I just I just let you do your thing honey Sounds good. Well, I picked um, two runes came out of the bag for um, thinking about February, February moon. And um, the first rune was Ewas, which is the rune for the horse. Now, there, it's a traveling rune. And um, there are two traveling runes in the, in the set one is Raido, which is the chariot wheel. And then one is Awas, which is the horse. Now, when you travel with the horse, it means you don't need to have a wagon and a road and a crew to help you with your your traveling. It means it's time to get get uh, saddle up your horse and get going. So it's a real it's a rune that is about motivation. It's about um, just uh, it sort of get you can't get anywhere until you get the horse out of the barn and uh, it's it's uh it's telling you to, to to start the projects everybody who has projects that they've been kind of waiting on um really now is this next you know this this is the moon to, to get going on them um and they these are usually uh, this rune usually indicates a time of really big transition. Um, there's a psychic bond between humans and horses too, and so some of it is about using your psychic intuition um, and monitoring your emotional output because when a horse feels you're scared or something, then it'll it'll start to act up. The horse feels like oh, you're, you know, the rider is, is happy and comfortable, then the horse behaves differently. So it's about your emotions as well. It's about kind of cueing into your own emotional, um, what what are you projecting emotionally and to, to get that into alignment. And then the second ca- rune that came out is Gifu, which is, the rune of relationships, it's the giving and receiving in balance. And so I, I guess I had a half a thought that it's Valentine's month, you know. And I think uh, people put a lot of pressure on themselves for having a Valentine's uh, partner. But with the combination of these runes, so when you've, when you've got a horse, it's just you and your horse. And it's the Gifu of that relationship that's really most important, the relationship between you and the vehicle of your progress. And then Gifu with self, being in balance with your own self, self to self, is the most important thing because you can't get into a relationship if you're not balanced yourself. So I believe that these two runes are are asking people to um, to take, you know, to get going and take the risk of their um, uh, their project that they want to to uh, go forward with, and to make sure that they are balanced when they're doing it. So that is the runes of the moon for Lunatic Mondays on February fifth. Thank
3: you so much for for sharing with us. And, of course, as always, we find that there is some type of synchronicity with the tarot reading. Uh, I can't wait to hear what it is. Right. (laughs) So, but before, um, you know, before I go into the reading, I want to kind of like throw a little disclaimer out there. And I usually don't do this, but today's reading um, certainly calls for it. I'm Mm -hmm. not a doctor. I'm not giving medical advice to anybody by any means. And, well, I think it was the wise words of Scott Cunningham who said, if you need a doctor or a lawyer, just go to a doctor or no lawyer, don't go to the witch. Uh, However, Mm -hmm. that being said, I'm not a doctor. I'm giving this advice from a spiritual and loving point of view. So here we go. Uh, Tarot reading for the week of February 5th, 2018 for Lunatic Mondays, courtesy of Tarot by Laura. Tendency, Four of Pentacles Reverse. Looks like the first full week of February, we are feeling unbalanced, incomplete, and probably sick. We all have the winter blues, or even worse, some kind of seasonal illness. And the tarot is reflecting exactly that with this Four of Pentacles Reverse. It's like our energy, wealth, and health bank suddenly have overdrawn, not a pleasant feeling. Uh, what to do, eight of wands, time to concentrate all of our energy on our well-being. If it is a physical illness, uh, illness, some tender love and caring is highly recommended. If this speaks to you more about financial loss, I believe you're inspired to take The overtime you were offered or to simply come up with some creative ideas to balance that book bank. It is recommended that all your energies go to that at this moment. What not to do the three of cups? Don't share your cup. The tarot got quite literally on this one. Please make sure there are not silly distractions that will prevent you uh, from finding your ground this week. Also, when it comes to illnesses, we all know this is one of the big no-no's, so whether literally or figuratively, keep your cup to yourself, keep your energy on finding your balance, and keep the social contact to a basic need this week. Best of fortune to you all, and as always, I utilize the Ryder Whitesmith Smith tarot, and you can find about my work on www.brujalauragonzalez.com. That is a Boy R U J A Laura Gonzalez and there you have it, my dear Carrie. Now you know why I had to do that disclaimer. <laughs> you
5: know, that's right. Well, I mean, it's really it always is amazing to me how our readings really do dovetail each other, because even though the relationship rune makes you seem thinks makes you think that you're supposed to seek other people, the reading is really like no. It's about balancing self and 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 not going into into relationship with others, so great advice from the tarot from your tarot and and great advice from the runes,
3: yeah indeed, and as always, I think you know we forget that when it comes to illnesses and this awful epidemic that well it's not an epidemic I, I'm being dramatic but how a lot of people are ill right now with the flu or some kind of respiratory mm-hmm. illness mm-hmm. when I pulled the cars, I was like really <laughs> are we that literal this week <laughs> no. it, it's I funny mean... that
0: it
5: comes
3: like that and that you can be social but you don't need to put all your energy on the social aspect of your life you know that a little TLC is you know,
5: needed at this moment. Yep, yep. And the best um, place to put your energy is to your your animals, where they're giving back. They can't get your illness, and you can't get anything from them. But they're, but that horse rune. You know, it's like get your your comfort animals, your comfort peacock <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, Kari, yeah. remind us, for, for those who haven't learned yet, where to find
5: you, uh, your website. Yeah, so y- you can find me at k a r i t a u r i n g K-A-R-I-T-A-U-R-I-N-G.com. You can see me on Facebook, and um, I also have some YouTube channels, uh, Volvestov and Nordic Roots Dance, I think, so... Um, uh, very happy to receive um, emails from people. If people want individual readings, um, you can just email me at Kari at com. And awesome. thank you so much, Laura, for having me on the show. It's such a treat for me to be able to talk with you and, and share my Rune knowledge with your amazing listeners.
3: And it is, as
5: always, a pleasure
3: to have you here, Kari. And not only to have you live doing the room readings, but you're going to send us off tonight with The One Who Loves Me. So we're oh, going nice. to say goodbye tonight with Kari touting, singing The One Who Loves Me. Never forget that you are loved. Good night.
1: For the one who loves me.
2: You're listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans Unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and the most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight.